0: Jake Berger is trying to will himself on to the White Sox roster. He's going to try to find a spot there on a roster that seems pretty set and isn't looking for another first base, third base, right-handed power hitter on it. But he seems determined early in spring with yet another home run uh, yesterday to, to make it onto this roster. I like my burgers with cheese, grilled onions, bacon, and a hell of a lot of determination. Yeah, I do too. You know, I and you know... You root for the guy, don't you? I mean, he's Absolutely. been on this show before. His his wife's been on this show before. I haven't had the the little kid on the show yet, but we'll get to that eventually when he can.
1: I'm sure string some words together. We'll get all the burgers on. But like, wait, wait. I, I just have to ask. It's a terrible joke, but is Jake Burger's kid considered a slider? Knock it off. You root for him
0: because he's such a nice guy, right? And you root for him because he dealt with all those injuries and he had years taken away from him. And, you know, he's going to have a very hard time making real money in pro baseball because of the amount of control the team's going to have over him for the amount of time that he has not even spent up in the major leagues. You, you root for him because you want him to succeed. I mean, he's a first-round draft pick. He's a high-end draft pick who, again, good dude, funny guy. Very personable when you talk to him. I mean, on the air and then off the air when we were joking around with him. Like it just like he's a guy that I when I see him up there and he does good things, I smile. Like I I legitimately want him to make the team. I can't figure out where he goes though, because again, unless Oscar Colas isn't the right fielder, which would mean Gavin Sheets is, along with Aloya Menez playing fifty some games out in right field. I- I- as long as As Colas is in right field, I think they still take the left-handed power hitter and Sheets is one of the four position player bench spots. And you got to have a backup catcher and you're taking Romy. And even if they dump Larry, which is still really iffy that they're going to eat $11 million over two years to get rid of him, you're not going to take then a Jake Marisnik or a, uh, a Billy Hamilton who gives you some more speed and more versatility in the outfield. And instead, you're going to get a guy who is not very good defensively, at least from what we've seen when he's up in the major leagues. I always feel bad saying it again because I like him. And and also only plays first base, third base. In fact, he just started playing first base here in
1: spring training. Well, and and you hit it on the head. It's positional versatility that holds him back because he's not going to be the starting third baseman on this team. So you don't think they're going to eat. Larry Garcia's money, they're definitely not eating Yohan Moncada's money. Right. And also, Yohan Moncada's a starting third baseman on a lot of Major League
0: Baseball teams who has underperformed at the plate, but is still a viable starting player. I wouldn't put Jake Berger in over Mankata unless I thought Moncada was dogging it out there or needed a wake-up call. Then it'd be like, you know, we're bringing Berger up for two weeks to remind this kid that, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you make, you still got to put in the effort. Although I don't think that's going to be a problem with him this year. He seems very motivated, but he's got a much better glove. He's the third baseman.
1: Well, yeah, and, and that's why it's not, as I was about to say, it's not even a position battle between Jake Berger and Yohan Moncada so we're not even having that conversation. It's really a question of who can Berger back up. And his only spot that he can back up is Andrew Vaughn. Well, that's two right-handed batters. Gavin Sheets opened spring training with a home run. So did Berger, but Sheets beat him to it by a couple of innings. And Sheets has the positional versatility of being able to play in the outfield somewhat.
0: This episode of Socks in the Basement and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you by the home of the podcast for fans, by fans, Cork & Carry at the Park in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton. An award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites at a great price. You enhance your ballpark experience when you kick off the game and finish off afterwards at Cork & Carry at the Park. Extensive bar with a rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits and wines. Get out there and see us all year long at the Cork, and do not forget about Parade Day. Southside Irish Parade is coming up on the 12th of March. Cork and Kerry Beverly, 10614 Southwestern Avenue. Socks in the Basement will be out there, and I'm giving away a ton of free Socks in the Basement swag. Come out, have a pint with us, wear the green, enjoy the parade at Cork and Kerry
1: Beverly. Learn more at corkandkerry.com, And with power hitters, too, it's about working them into the lineup and not just we, the major leagues is not built for the professional pinch hitter anymore, okay? There's not going to be those guys that were that made their living in the National League where they would just be the pinch hitter. And and they were going to get in a bat pretty much every day, uh, every game, because they were going to hit for the pitcher at some point. Or they were going to come up in a situation and hit for your catcher who couldn't hit, your backup catcher. You know, when, when teams would have a shortstop that had no – you know, no ability with a bat, which is a long, long time ago. There's no need to have Gavin Sheets there as a pinch hitter every day, but there is a potential need for Gavin Sheets to be in rotation to give Pedro some flexibility to move guys in and out of the lineup a little bit and go heavy lefty, for example, on some days when there's a righty that really kind of demands it. Or – Give guys some days off to keep guys fresh so that you're not relying on Aloy as playing 80 games out in the outfield. His versatility, Sheets' versatility, keeps him, I think, there. I really honestly, and I hate to say it, I think Jake Berger's best bet is to have another great spring, show that he is a viable major league bat. And see if that's somebody that Rick Hahn can then leverage into something that they need at the end of it.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I don't think that he has a long term role on the White Sox, at least the way that they're set up right now, unless, of course, somebody gets injured. And now all of a sudden he's coming up from AAA and he's filling a role, right? I mean, like he's there in case Andrew Vaughn gets hurt so he can play first base. He's there in case Juan Moncada gets hurt, where he's going to, he's you're going to have some, some issues over at third base in the field but he's going to hopefully make up for it with his bat. I mean, how many times did we see him last year in the short sample size that we got where he would butcher a play at third and then make up for it two innings later with a two-run home run. Like it's almost right, like a, it's right, almost right. like a wash, yeah. but but the thing is is that like that's what he's kind of there for. He's there if all of a sudden they need somebody to come off the bench and they don't have another left-handed power hitter because and Sheets is hurt, right? I mean, there's a way that he makes it up onto the roster, but he's waiting on injury most likely. To get on the White Sox roster. And more more than likely, he if he has a big spring and then he goes down the triple A and he's performing, then a competent general manager should be able to move him to be able to get something valuable back in return that that isn't roadblocked right now on this team. Here's the thing if there's an injury and he comes up, I'm not gonna be worried about very much of a drop off at all.
1: I would say, could Jake Berger close? Yeah, I know,
0: because here's the thing. I I loved what uh said when he was talking about whether or not he had a closer in mind. And he's like, well, first, I want to see him pitch. I love that. Okay. I mean, he's a new manager. He could very easily sit there and look at stats like I do, like back of the baseball card and be like, "Reynaldo Lopez. And I think that's who it should be. I still believe that. I hope he looks at that at least while he's looking at them pitch. But, you know, I also like the idea that he's like, first, let me figure out what I think of these guys. Then let's sit down and look at them statistically and what they do and what they trend to do. And then who says I'm going to have a closer? I'm more of a leverage guy. And I love that. That was one of those things that drove people nuts with Tony La Russa is that he didn't have the flexibility when it came to how he used Liam Hendricks. Sometimes he wasted Liam Hendricks or didn't get him in quick enough because he's playing for the 10th inning. But this is the big inning right here. And you got to have your closer in at that moment. So it may be bullpen by committee. And although the the fantasy baseball nerd in me hates bullpen by committee because I can't score points off of it, the, the baseball fan in me says, if it's used properly, I'm totally up for it. All right? Go by situation. The best pitcher against the heart of their lineup in the later innings. Go that route.
1: And I agree with you 100%. The question is still, can Jake Berger pitch?
0: No, he cannot. <laughs> Socks in the basement listeners, if you have a loved one that is not getting around the house very well, switch to a new age of life with Hyatt Home Medical Equipment. It's all about keeping them in the home, making it easy to get around, reducing the risk of a fall. They have everything you need to do that. Nobody wants to go into assisted living. This is a viable alternative. And anybody with sleep apnea, they have the latest in CPAP technology. If you need an extra oxygen tank, they got them. Diabetes control, they got it covered. So much available. Check it out on their website at hhme.com. Mention socks in the basement, you get additional money off. Plus, they're going to work with your insurance. They always do a great job with that. Stop in and see them and speak to them in person. See what I'm talking about right there. Not online, not in a catalog. Get into their Evergreen Park showroom at 3518 West 95th Street. On of line with me right now from Camelback Ranch, checking in, soaking in the sun, although it doesn't sound like it's as warm out there as I imagine it to be. Scott Merkin joins us on Socks in the Basement. How are you, Merk?
2: Good, and I have to, we have to you know, be honest and, and uh, no mistakes here. I'm at a hotel near Camelback Ranch, not at Camelback Ranch right now. Okay, fine. Close, though. <laughs> let, 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 let's, let's paint the actual picture. I know you I, I want to make it seem like I'm calling from the dugout just to get it live in action, but I was at Camelback Ranch earlier today. How about that?
0: Well, give me an inside look on this spring training. You've seen so many of them. Do you have a feeling about this one? Because I'm sure there's times you show up to a spring training, and you go, this is a mess. Or you show up to a spring training, and you go, wow, there's a different vibe here than a year before. Like, what's your impression early on watching this uh, this spring training?
2: Hey, you know, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever been to a spring training where I thought this is a mess unless I was driving back from Tempe or Mesa in rush hour. <laughs> then I was probably swearing this is a mess as I was driving back to Glendale. But but I don't think I've ever really, you know, known like in spring training where like, oh my God, this team's in trouble. But I, I will go to the second one and say there's a much different, there's a different vibe this year, 100%. I mean, these guys are playing with something to prove. You know, the guys who were with the team last year, which is a good part of the group coming back, that was, you know, a big plan from the front office and, you know, Rick and Kenny and Chris Getz and everyone else is that, you know, as bad as last season was, and it was as bad a year as I can remember for the White Sox, I've covered this is my 21st season covering them there were worse records, but in terms of the expectations coming off a pretty solid year in 2021 with a lot of injuries on that team, still winning 93 games and getting to the playoffs to have what happened last year was just, you know, uh, an unforeseen debacle. So there's a lot of guys who really have, you know, feel like they have something to prove as a team more so than individually this year. And that's a good thing. And on the flip side, you know, you have Pedro Rafol and his staff who have come in and aside from guys like Kurt Hassler and Ethan Katz and Daryl Boston, is a new staff, and I don't think they're as worried about the, the vibe. They love the vibe that's in camp. They love the desire to get better, the desire to work hard, but they just have a good system in place. You know, Pedro's talked a lot about culture. I wrote about it, you know, after talking to him on the phone before spring training about it. I think they want to develop kind of like a winning way, you know. They really want to develop. They, they want to win, but they want to do it in a style that can be repeated. It's almost kind of like mechanics, the mechanics of winning, I guess. You know, they have a process, and they take care of things right when they happen. You know, if there's a drop pop-up on the infield, as there was the first two games, they go after, you know, they talk about it after the game, and the next day they implement something to try and correct that issue. I'm just using that as an example. You know, I mean, that's going to happen, obviously, especially with Jake learning another new position at first base, Jake Berger, that is.
0: All right, so 26-man roster. We're all over here trying to figure out what's going to happen with it. 13 pitchers, 13 players. Take the nine starters and assume that uh, Colas is going to be the right fielder. A lot of people seem to feel that that's a given, even though he's not officially on the 40-man roster yet. you got to bring a backup catcher. Uh, they keep talking about Romy Gonzalez. Gavin Sheets is the left-handed power hitter likely to come off the bench. And Larry Garcia still got two years and $11 million left on his contract. And you get a guy like Jake Berger who comes out guns a-blazin', but you're not really sure if there's room for him to get in there. What, what are the actual battles in camp uh, would the White Sox move on from a Garcia if somebody said uh, you know I'm better than him and proved it out there and they would eat that money I mean does a guy like Jake Berger or one of these non-roster invites that are in the outfield like Marisnick or Reyes or any of these other guys Billy Hamilton do they have a shot to make this team
2: yeah I think yes so all that. I, I think um, remember you know when you're talking about well the he owes that and they're not going to eat that kind of money that's not the White Sox way remember you know they they cut ties at Dallas Keiko last year. They did the same with John Danks. Great, great guy, you know, but I mean, after his surgery it just wasn't the same, they did the same at the end of his contract. They did the same in the second year of Jeff Kepinger's contract. So they will do it. There's no question about it. I don't know if it'll have not a camp. I would not be surprised if he breaks camp of the team. And I think one of the things they can couch this as, even though they really like Romy and I think Romy, you know, until they added Elvis Andrews is probably the, the clubhouse leader at second base. Um, you know, they can say that, you know, they're going to send him to Charlotte and let him get a little more time at all the positions because Rick has talked about that, you know, they envision him in a Ben Zobris type of role. So I could see where they will send him to Charlotte and let him play the outfield, let him play right, let him play left, you know, get him a little work at third and a short and then, you know, maybe a month or two in or maybe not even that long, you know, you can see what happens. So I could see him making the team, but I could also see them talking about that, that that may be best served for his development. And Jake's an interesting case, you know, same with Gavin. I think they both clearly have bats that are, that play at the major league. I mean, they both have power to burn and that. That's a big intrinsic value in this, in this day and age of this game. You know, I mean, the Sox did not hit home runs last year. We know that Gavin was one of the team leaders in home runs. And I do think that all those veteran outfielders have a shot, you know, I mean, they're not all going to make it, but one of them from that group, Victor Reyes, Jake Merznik, Billy Hamilton, who is very well-known to the wife. I said, I, mean, I really had, had not to talked to Billy yet, but I mean, it's it's amazing that he's, he played a nice role in that 2021 team, but he wasn't like a, an everyday starter for a, the whole season. And yet I remember when I, I, don't pay a ton of attention to this stuff, but I remember when I tweeted out the story about where I found out that he was coming back and my goodness, there were like 3000 likes on that tweet.
0: Yeah. People, people liked Billy. It,
2: just a great presence. You know, I mean, he's so good for the clubhouse. He's such an upbeat dude. He's a very good defensive player. Still, he can run, obviously, and that's. Yeah, I think this team is going to run this year. I think a lot of teams are going to run more this year. But, but I mean, I think you're right. I think you're right in you know the sense of backup catcher. Um, you know, most likely Gavin Sheets, and then either Leori or Romy would be one of the one of the three of the four spots there.
0: Scott Merkin joining us here on Sox in the Basement from Camelback Ranch. He and every guest on Sox in the Basement brought to you proudly by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and see everything they have going on this weekend and beyond at lamontdowntown.com. You're talking about guys that uh, have great character that the White Sox have in camp right now. If you looked at the back of the baseball card, for a lot of guys that could have been brought in to play second base... Uh, several of those baseball cards would have looked better than Elvis Andrus. If you just take out that two month stretch when he got to the white Sox and was red hot over the last couple of years, he's not been like, you know, a superstar at the plate, but when the white Sox bring him in, one of the things they point out right away is leadership and the veteran presence. And the fact that he was vocal in the short time that he was with that team in the back end, when things started to turn around, is that why he's there? They just needed more guys that would step up and tell guys, let's go, you know, wake up, let's play. Do they need more of that in the, in the clubhouse?
2: Well, I think they like what they saw from him in the field too. You know, he, he not only played a good shortstop and they thought that, the, you know, he'd move over naturally as, or move over without an, without an issue to second, but he also gives you insulation in short in case Tim needs a day off or Tim has some sort of break in the action there where you can move him over and have a guy who played shortstop at a high level for 14 years, take over there. And he hit the ball great with the White Sox. He was one of their, I think, top... He was, he was the main reason why they made their little run to kind of get back into it, you know, before the Cleveland sweep at home led to an AK losing streak, which pretty much ended a, a, a rough, miserable season. But, you know, if you go by what Rick said, that, uh, you know, they wanted him back shortly after he started playing for them last year. They liked him so much. And, you know, in, in fairness to Elvis, he was, he, it was his first move into free agency, and, and really, was just kind of amazing. At 14 years, it was his first move into free agency. He wanted to play first. We talked to him today after the game. After he played second for the first time today, he was very funny and very honest today. That you know, it did feel weird. He said it was one of the weirdest games he's he's had. But he's working a lot with um, third base coach and infield instructor Eddie Rodriguez to get you know more comfortable at second base. And I think he'll be fine. He, he talked about this when he first came back about you know with all the shifting that had been done the last few years. He felt like he's played second a number of times already. So I don't think it's going to be that big an adjustment for him. But again, you know, he's a good player. And if the other guys, you know, who were hurt or underperformed last year or both back this year, then you don't need him to be, you know, the number one or number three or number four guy on that team. He could be a very good contributor, you know, from the bottom of the order. And, you know, Rick maybe had a good line, kind of a funny joke, but like, you know, when they saw him play for a quarter of a year last year, they didn't extrapolate out his numbers and say, well, we'll multiply this by four, and this will be you he'll know, have. He said, you know, if they do have that, they're going to have the MVP on the team, probably, you know, or maybe a VAL this year. But they just you know, knew that he'd provide them good, steady play and be a major clubhouse force in there. So you know, I, think, I think they're building a, a good clubhouse, a good atmosphere overall for this team. And again, you got to win on the field. You could have the best guys in the world, but you got to get it done once you get you know out on the field.
0: All right, before I let you go, let's talk bullpen. Uh, I, have, I have seen so many articles with people trying to predict what the White Sox are going to do. I have also noticed that their new manager is saying, I'm more of a leverage guy, so who knows if I'm going to have a specific closer while Liam Hendricks is out. I'm leaning towards Reynaldo Lopez because of what he did last year. Uh, I know Kendall Graveman has experience. If you had to put money down on it, who do you think is going to be closing games the most for the White Sox?
2: Well, first of all, you know, I mean, the closer of the White Sox is Liam Hendricks. And, you know, it's, it's been great to see him a few times. He really hasn't. Um, he said hi when he's walked by a few times. He usually comes in and does his workout when kind of the players are out on the field. And it's amazing to see him. Our workroom is out of the press box, so we see him playing long toss out there. And it's just such a, a great sight to know what he's going through and still able to do that. I mean, it's an amazing, they're an amazing couple, him and his wife, Christine. He's an amazing dude overall. So hopefully he's healthy. That's the biggest thing. In the interim, you know, I think um, Pedro really is going to go by leverage. And I think you know, there may be situations where you know, maybe Graveman is thought of as a closer, but they need him in the seventh. That that's, that's the time where they need him. So I, think, I, I would think Lopez would be the guy. I would agree with you. And you know, Graveman, when we first talked to him, I think it was like the maybe second day of camp, and he basically said he told Pedro, you know, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he said, I don't care about holds. I don't care about saves. He goes, I'm too old and been in this game too long to worry about that stuff. He goes, So just, you know, just put me in where we can win. That's what I want. That's all I want out of this. And I think that's the same attitude for Joe Kelly. I know it's the same attitude for Aaron Bummer, the same attitude for all those guys out there. So they really have, you know, just off the top of my head, there's four guys right there without Liam who can pitch in high level situations. You know, Kelly, a healthy Kelly, Bummer, um, Lopez, and see, now I forgot someone who I have, and I just talked about Graven.
0: Scott Merkin writes for MLB.com. He's always nice enough to jump on the, uh, on the line with us. I know that we had to wait a few extra minutes cause you were around with Hawk, which I thought was hysterical. I was, I was
2: t- talking to my old friend Hawk. Oh, he's great to catch up with Hawk. What a, what a legend and a Hall of Famer, a Hall of Famer. One of the best, just a, a joy to know him over the years. And it, it's great to sit down and talk with guys like Hawk or Bob Euchre. I mean, they just have so much baseball history and baseball knowledge. And it's, it's just, I, I, I'll share a really quick story before we go on Bob Euchre. When Hawk, the year he retired, the Sox were playing the Brewers. So I went over and kind of waited in the Milwaukee dugout before the game. This is pre-COVID and everything. And um, he walks out and I walk, I, I asked the media relations guy just to make sure there was no protocol. The guy is a Hall of Famer himself and a legend. I said, I can go up. He's like, yeah, he doesn't care. So I went up and I introduced myself and I said, Mr. euchre, I'm uh, you know doing a story on Hawk Harrelson. And I would like to get you, and they're very good friends. Very, very, uh, Uger was on that weekend with Hawk for like two innings, I was saying say, in one of the broadcasts. And I said, I'd like to talk about Hawk. And he goes, Hawk? Huh? He goes, I don't really know Hawk. And I kind of <laughs> laughed. And he goes, no, no, I don't really know Hawk. He goes, I know Andre Dawson. He's the Hawk. I can tell you all about Andre Dawson. So now I'm like, okay, is this a bit, or is this, you know, is he really, I said, I know he knows him. I know they're friends. Hawk just told me this like a, an hour ago. And I said, no, I, said, I really enjoyed watching Andre Dawson played, but I'm not doing a story on him. And he goes, well, I don't know Hawk Harrelson, but I can tell you a lot of stories about Andre Dawson, the Hawk. He's a great player. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. I I, you know, don't really need that, but thank you. And he kind of grabbed my arm and he goes, I know, Hawk. What the, What do you need? And he sat down and talked to me for like 30 minutes after that. So, I love how,
0: I love how he got you, too. That's the best well, part. You know, yeah. Like at the beginning,
2: I was like, okay, I get it. It's a because no one does more shtick <laughs> than I do. Trust me. I'm like the... I'm like the Borschtfeld comedian of the of the baseball beat, So I get that. But then the the fact that he was committed to it really made me believe, like, I know he knows him, but maybe he just doesn't feel comfortable talking about him, you know, or something like that. But And then he let me off the hook, and he's like, what, what do you need? Whatever you need, we got it. We'll and he gave me great stories about Hawks.
0: Awesome. Scott Merkin over uh, nearby Campbellback Ranch. Not actually there, there right go. now while we're talking to him. Thanks so much for jumping on.
2: Okay, Chris. Take care.
0: Ed, it is a busy weekend at Hailstorm Brewing Company. Mark Taylor is going to be playing at 6 p.m. on Friday night. Joe Roscoe playing a set at 6 p.m. on Saturday. They're also doing their yoga event that they have every first Saturday of every month. 10 a.m. until 11 a.m., 15 bucks. You get an hour of a yoga class and a draft pour. Get more details and tickets at hailstormbrewing.com and stop in there and check out that big, beautiful beer hall, a working brewery with an amazing tap room. And like I said, the big tables there, it becomes a party. You meet people, you make new friends, you get old friends together. The kitchen has also become a reason to get out there. The chicken and sausage gumbo. Wow. And you throw a little bit of bacon and pulled pork on that grilled cheese and you're pretty much set for the day. They're open at 11 a.m. now because they're serving the lunch crowd. Visit the official brewery of Socks in the Basement in Tinley Park at 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue, Hailstorm Brewing Company. Scott Merkin writes articles uh, on MLB.com. Ed here writes articles on Socks in the Basement. And uh, Those did... two things are not equivalent to each other in any way, shape, or <laughs> no, form. No, they're not. But Mismatched socks is found at Uh, and I try to get it out on the social medias. And, and, and you are going after Pocota. This is the time of year when you do comparisons, uh, the White Sox versus teams or divisions, and you blow up the Pocota projections and make them look silly. And you took a head-to-head look with the twins with a, an amazing photo. As the cover photo. (laughs) I don't want to give it away. Go to SoxInBasement.com and check it out. But the fact that you were able to incorporate Patrick Swayze and this evaluation of the uh, Sox versus the Twins and whether or not Pakoda's wrong because it has the Twins finishing better than the White Sox, it's worth the click.
1: Here's what I do, okay? Forget your advanced metrics and stats and all that stuff. Just looking position by position, who's manning it for the Twins, who's manning it for the White Sox, which player is better. The more better for the White Sox, they win, right? And that's what I'm, I'm looking at is how many of the, these position players projected to play for the Twins are better than what the White Sox run out there. And I did it for the Guardians already, and I'm going to do it for the AL East contenders, and I'll do it for the AL West contenders. And, you know, it, it just it's one of those things where I think sometimes we get – lost in statistics and we get lost in what an AI or a mathematical model could do. We kind of forget just to look and see, is it possible that they just suck in terms of who's playing, for example, left field for the twins or their lack of DH in this case? So here's the thing. I
0: like all these back and forths. I I disagree with you on one of them. I do which one? I mean I defended the man on the last episode and I still love him as a shortstop, but you're gonna try to tell me that Carlos Correa isn't as good as Tim Anderson?
1: And I think one of the problems is, is that you had two teams pass on Carlos Correa, which means that he may be damaged goods. Okay? Yeah, but I don't think he's damaged this year. It's just he's damaged for where you don't want to give him 10 years. Well, I understand that. I, but but I also do think that that's going to be something that factors into, one, how he's used and, two, how he plays. Also, he is a guy that is built around power versus what Anderson does in terms of trying to get on base and trying to just move the ball around. And power, I don't think lasts as long as it is. And I think you're already seeing Carlos Correa get over his prime in terms of that. And as the majors kind of moves back away from some of those metrics, I think a guy like Anderson can be more valuable. Plus, how many times has Tim Anderson just carried the White Sox all the way through? Versus, you know, Carlos Correa, not even being the best player on the Astros when when he was there by a long shot. He was what like the Third or fourth, fifth best hitter on the team, so I I think you can I think you can make the case for Carlos Correa. I really do, and I, I went back and forth, but um, I'm going to give it to CA for right. Well, now.
0: here's the thing: if you get a focused, healthy Tim Anderson without distractions in season, able to play the majority of games and locked in, all right, fine. Because you're right, he can put a team on his back. He can be the emotional leader of the team. He can be the engine that makes the car go,
1: and that's what I'm I'm looking for.
2: <laughs>
0: The phone line with me once again another week to nerd out with the sax nerd dave Marin. how are you sax nerd
3: great sir how are you
0: good dave uh look we're gonna we're gonna go around during spring training to all the different positions and so we've done pitchers we've done catchers now we're gonna go around the horn a little bit and hit first base and try to do a deep dive into stats when it comes to white Sox first baseman you ready to go i'm
3: ready to go let's do it what do you got You know, Chris, one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite movies, The Hangover, is when the boys are pushing the car with the tiger back to Tyson's house, and Stu says to Alan, we need you, buddy. This is your time to shine, okay? That's what I want to say to Andrew Vaughn when it comes to first base. Andrew, we need you, buddy. This is your time to shine. First base uh, certainly has been a heritage position for the Chicago White Sox, that's for sure. Since 1983, that's 31 seasons, Only seven players have started at the position on opening day for the Sox. And since 1991, that number is four. So he's certainly got a lot of pressure on him. He's certainly stepping into a big role. So I did a look at how he did playing first base last year. 286 on base percentage. He hit 250, slugging percentage of 391 in 22 games. But I don't think that really tells the full story with him because I really want to see what he can do when he's settled into one position in one spot in the batting order. After all, this is a guy who made at least one start at every spot in the batting order last season. I found that to be incredible. He started the most at DH 66. Vaughn's played every position, but shortstop, center, catcher, and pitcher in his big league career. When you think about it, prior to his big league debut and dating to his days at Cal, he played all but 10 of his games in the field at first base. Something interesting I found out about Jake Berger was, you know, he homered on Saturday while playing first base. But best I can tell, that was the first time he ever played the position in the minors or going back to college.
0: The Soxner brought to you by the law offices of Parente and Norum. If you've been injured, you need a team that will do what it takes to fight for your rights. Insurance companies only care about one thing, the bottom line, but they got the experience, dedication, and proven results to get you the care and compensation you deserve. Get a free case evaluation. 312-641-5926, call or text at or visit pninjurylaw.com. Let me ask you this question. From the moment you said it, I've been sitting here trying to figure it out. You said four players have started at first base, I want to say, since 1991 is what you just said. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Does that include Vaughn? Because all I came up with was Thomas and Canerco yep. and a brief. Yeah. Well, there was, there's an
3: outlier in there. Who is it? It's one of the all-time great trivia questions. <laughs> 1998. March 31st at Texas, your first baseman for the Chicago White Sox on opening day was good old number 31. I'm, I'm trying to get you to say it.
0: I know, and I'm not going to get it.
3: Good old number 31, Greg Norton.
0: Greg Norton. Oh, man. He started at first. What was Thomas injured? What the heck was going on no, there? No.
3: Frank played DH. So oh, he must my have goodness. Been...
0: That was a terrible decision.
3: Last week, I gave you the <laughs> Grindall in Kansas City stat. Well, Vaughn, uh, last year, Vaughn hit 500 against Toronto, and that was the highest ever by a Sox player against Toronto, and it was tied for seventh all-time, and that's for players with at least 26 at-bats against Toronto. If you don't mind, maybe every week I'll just throw in a little zinger like that that's just way off the wall because uh, if I don't give them to you... And they don't make the scoreboard. They just end up floating out into space somewhere.
0: That's what I want. I want the hidden Sox nerd stuff that doesn't make the scoreboard on Sox in the basement.
3: I will happily do
0: that. All right. Dave Marin, Sox nerd, joining us once again. We'll see you next week as we dive into second base, which should be very interesting with all the different people that you may see there this year. Yeah, Elvis is probably starting you're going to see a lot of people rotate in and out, and that has been a position of concern for Sox fans now for a while. Thanks so much, Dave. Thank you, Chris. Greg Norton, for crying out loud, Ed. Greg? Norton. <laughs> Greg Norton. That's, Norton? You're the greatest. You know, what? And, and that's the guy. Andrew Vaughn has to be better than Greg Norton. Like that's Right. A, it's a failure <laughs> There's otherwise. There's your bar right there. <laughs> it's a failure otherwise if he's not as good as Greg
1: Norton. He's already had a better season than Greg Norton's best season. So if he just continues to expand on
0: this- I'm joking about he has to be better than Greg Norton. He's gotta be a lot better. <laughs> yes, Greg,
1: Norton. but Greg Norton's best season was the White Sox. 255, 16 home runs. Andrew Vaughn's already passed that man. <laughs> but Greg Norton's so forgettable
0: that Sox Nerd's trying to lead me into the answer. And I'm like, 31? What, Scott Radinsky? Nope, he wasn't a first baseman. Sox in the basement. <laughs>